It's great to be here with you. And hasn't it been a great sermon series so far? A couple of weeks ago, um, just before one of these services, I was praying with a young mum, and she wanted to pray together to ask God to give her a new passion to serve God. She said when she was younger, she was always in church, she was doing ministry, but now that she's married, she's got a young baby, she spends all her time at work, and when she's not at work, she's at home looking after her family, looking after her baby, and she doesn't know how she can serve God, so she wanted to pray for God to give her a new passion to serve God. And whilst I really honor her zeal and her passion for God, it it actually broke my heart a little. It's this sense almost like I'm not serving God well enough. I'm, I'm falling short of God's standards. And I wonder whether any of you here feel that. That, you know, I spend such long hours at work, and then actually you come to church and we say, come serve. We we still need that. But you think, have you seen my diary? It's so full. Um, By the time I've gone to work or I've gone home, I've I've done all my duties or my obligations, be it looking after children, maybe parents, any other kind of obligations. For me, it's studying part-time as well. You think, how am I supposed to find extra time to serve God? And this question of how we spend our time has really um, been asked a lot since the pandemic. It's triggered something called the Great Resignation. Have you heard of this in our area of work? The big quit that says that since the pandemic, a lot of people have left their jobs or are about to leave their jobs. Because questions are asked about family time, maybe remote work, commuting, maybe even your hobbies or passion projects, and even questions about life and death. And it's changing the way we see work. LinkedIn last September did um, a research and they found that the percentage of people who said they'd had a job change on their LinkedIn profile had increased 54% compared to the year before. And this percentage increases with the generations. So if you're a baby boomer, apparently only 5% of you change jobs. For Gen X, it's 31%. Millennials, it's 50%. When it comes to Gen Z, and I learned also called Generation Zoomers, that's 80%. 80% of you have changed jobs. In Hong Kong, we haven't quite hit the great resignation, apparently because we're too busy working that we don't have time to ask questions about life and work. But apparently, it is happening. Work values are changing in Hong Kong too. We're just a little bit slower and behind global trend. And experts are calling these different things. Some of these are calling, some of them are calling it this a great reshuffle as people reshuffle between jobs. Others warn us to not just think of this as a pause before we return to normal. We're not returning to the old normal. But though this is a complete reset of what constitutes work workers and even the workplace on a global scale that we haven't seen in about a century. But the one description that I'm most excited about is what's called the great realignment as people seek to find more meaning and purpose in their work. And I'm excited about this for us as Christians because we as Christians are long overdue a realignment in our area of work. Because for too long, work has been separated from our life of worship and dedication to God. 
And so today I'd like to unpack a bit for you how Paul demonstrates the power of the gospel in the workplace, how the gospel impacts our work and how it makes inroads into businesses and industry. We'll look at two passages in Acts 16 and 18, and I believe that this highlights some important spiritual truths for us in Hong Kong, for you wherever you're watching online, and that by the end of this time together, I believe that you'll be able to relate how your work and your faith, how they relate to each other, and be better equipped to serve God in your work. And this, by the way, in case you're thinking, I don't work, I'm just a full-time parent. Full-time parenting is full-time work. Or maybe you're volunteering. Uh, you say, I don't get paid work, but this involves you too. Let's start in Acts 18, verse 1 to 4. It says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and when he was a, and he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks." Here, Paul is on his missionary trip, and he arrives in Corinth. And Corinth is a city in the Greco-Roman world, quite similar to Hong Kong. It was a major port city. It was strategic and important in commerce and trade. And it was a vibrant, busy, and socially diverse place. There were people coming and going, and people really wanting to make a better life for themselves. And here, Paul meets this couple called Aquila and Priscilla. They are originally from Italy, but because the then Roman emperor, Claudius, ordered all Jews to left, they had to flee. And so they arrived in Corinth, and they set up their own business, likely in, in tent making. These tents were likely made from leather. This is a husband and wife Christian entrepreneurial team. And when Paul arrived and Paul met them, they hit it off right away because he was like, amazing, I've met this Christian couple in the same industry. So they really hit it off. Now we know Paul as Paul the Apostle. The little well-known fact about Paul is that we, we don't know him really as Paul the tent maker. But Paul was trained in a craft, trained in tent making. And we know that he, he did this craft in at least two other places, in Ephesus and Thessalonica. So when he was in these places, just like most of us here, he'll go to work nine to five, or in Hong Kong to six to seven, nine till six to seven, and then in his, when he's not working, he'll preach the gospel. And this passage is often understood in a way that says that Paul earned money to support his ministry that almost like his tent-making work, his money-making work was less important. It was secondary to the ministry he was doing. But this doesn't do this passage full justice. And so to understand this pas passage better, we need to understand why Paul worked. First of all, the church in Corinth was a young church. There were, there were young believers, and Paul didn't want to put a burden on them, to take a tithe from them. Instead, he wanted to work and contribute to society. And the second thing is that Paul didn't want to come under what was known as the client-patronage social system. 
This was a system, an elaborate social system that was present in first century Greece. And society had huge, huge power imbalances where people weren't even considered fundamentally equal. The rich, those who were high up on the social ladder, they had access to food, to jobs, um, to security, to general things that needed that's needed for life or for an advancement in life. But those lower in the social ladder, they didn't have access to any of this. The only way they could have access to this is through finding a patron who would be able to funnel these things through to them. So it was essential for people in the lower classes to have a good life. It was, it was essential that they find a patron. It was almost like a normal part of life. And Paul refused this even though he was entitled to it, because he knew it would come with strings attached. Though it would elevate his social status, he would have like a stable income, he'd have more security. He would be obliged to go and see his patron every day, to say nice things to him, and in order to receive his daily allowance. So in return, he would be expected to go where his, his patrons and his maybe company of VIPs would go during the day, and really he would be part of his almost like entourage. And uh, even if he got to teach, it was likely that he only got to teach in the patron's household. And he knew God, hadn't called, God had called him to preach elsewhere. So he chose not to find a patron and willingly chose to be on the lower ladder of the social status so that he could be freed to follow God's call. He chose to be self-sufficient, but it was also a sacrifice that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla did in order to put the gospel as central to everything they do. They didn't see work, their tent-making work, as an as an end to itself, but it was because of the power of the gospel, it freed them to climb the social ladder, it freed them to, to see that their work is done for God and their preaching is done for God. Both are done for God's glory and puts the gospel in the center. So tent making, in a way, models to us how Christians can relate to work and ministry so that both are done for God's glory because God wants to use both for his glory. You see, work shouldn't be separated from our worship, separated from our time here and separated from our life of dedication. It's not a case that only when you're serving in church, you're doing ministry and when you're at work, that's not service to God. This dualism isn't what God ordained for us and it's not biblical. And to understand what this means, we need to go back to the biblical meaning of calling. <clears throat> you see, Christian calling and vocation come from the same root word. Vocation comes from a Latin word, vocatio, which means calling. They are the same thing, even though that's not obvious to many of us. We often think of vocation as a self-chosen career. It's a type of work that you feel you are suited to, that you give much of your time and energy to. But vocation in scripture doesn't only equal to work, isn't limited to work. Vocation actually means an all of life calling. Everything in our life is called by God. 
And we need to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, to Genesis, to understand the fullness of this. You see, in the beginning, God created Adam, and God called Adam into relationship with him. And then God put Adam with Eve. He called them into relationship with each other and put them in a Christian community. And then God called them, put them in the Garden of Eden and asked them to work. So what this means is that all Christians here, all Christians have a calling. And first and foremost, we are called to be children of God. We are called to walk with God every minute of the day, 24-7, 365, and not just on Sundays. And then we are called into Christian community to love and serve each other. And then God calls us to work. And just as Adam and Eve were put in the garden to, to look after the garden, we are called to take care of creation, to work it, to take care of it, to cultivate the full potential that this earth offers, to subdue it, subdue the darkness that could come and to rule over all creation so that you, when you work, you flourish, the people you serve flourish, and the whole world flourishes. This involves the whole earth, which means every industry, whatever industry you're in, be it you're in farming, agriculture, like Adam and Eve, or you're in architecture, or you're in accounting, or you're an actress, you're a banker, God wants those industries to flourish. He wants his goodness to come through you into those industries and into the people that you work with. You see, the Hebrew work for, the Hebrew word for work is this word avodah, and it actually means work and worship. So in Hebrew, the word for both worship and work is the same word. Worship, we know, is done in response to God's goodness. We sing his praises, but so is work. God calls us to work in response to how he's called us to be his children and in a response to his goodness. You see, the young mother that I mentioned earlier, God put her in her work so that she could serve God in her work. God put her in her family so that she could serve her husband, her young child, in her family. Paul, in his varieties of his different work, you know, be it in the sewing shop, in his shop front, in the marketplace, or in the synagogue preaching, these are all different forms of witnessing and service to God and serving the community. You see, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla teach us then that calling and vocation is for all of our lives. In all these contexts, Paul joins in on God's restorative plan. God wants the whole earth to be restored. And so Paul joins in on that. And Paul uses his gifts, his talents that are given by God, and the anointing and the influence that he has and he extends that touch of God into his work, in his tent making. And what this means is that actually when he was making tents, he provided for a need in the society. And this is something that we often miss in our work, in the, in the spiritual significance in our work. You see, these tents that Paul were making, they provided shelter actually, for the, for the Roman um, government, for their military base. People had shelter. And just like your work, it actually provides for a practical need that is God's heart. 
And let me tell you about a story about my friend, Alison. She works in one of the leading supermarkets. And over the fifth wave, as you know, food was completely depleted. There, were, there was no food on the supermarkets. And um, part of this was because people were panic buying. But I learned that it was because actually the China border was really strict. And actually, a lot of the lorry drivers were sick with COVID. So they couldn't work. So this supermarket, they're like, you know, this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to provide food. So they got creative. And they thought of ways to get food on the shelves. And what they did was creatively, each day, they just focused on one food type. For one day, it was maybe vegetables. They'll just get five types of vegetables on the shelf. The next day, it's bread. The next day, maybe it's meat. And what they did also was the senior leadership team, senior management team, went to the front line to help where they were short-staffed. And what this meant was that food actually got on the shelves. You and I actually got fed. And do you see, Jesus says, Jesus asks us to pray, give us today our daily bread. God's heart is to feed us every day. And, you know, when we don't get fed, what happens? We weather away. I mean, not that I actually know anyone that during the fifth wave actually lost weight, but God's heart is for us to be fed. God uses this supermarket, everyone in the supermarket, from senior management team to the cashier, to those stocking the shelves, to those sweeping the floor, they were joining in on God's heart to provide food, to provide sustenance for Hong Kong. Do you see that? Yeah. So this is how God cares for people through structures in society and through our work. And so that is service and the sum total of our lives is called by God. It's, it's not so much, you know, okay, I'll just, you know, we talk about how to integrate faith and work and it's not just that, okay, I'll just pray at work. I've integrated my work into my faith. That's not really quite it. We are called to complete reset on how we see faith and vocation. And this is really well summed up in Ephesians 1. Um, we'll start in verse 9. <clears throat> he, that's God, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the, time, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And this is our theology of vocation, that everything in our lives come under Christ. Every part of our lives is meant to honor Jesus, to worship him, and therefore, our lives are so significant. God is the God of everything, of every part in our lives. And he wants us to bring everything under Christ. And this is the great realignment to God's original vision of vocation and calling that I believe God is calling us to. Hong Kong needs this reset. And for us as a church, if we get this reset, you know, we'll make such an impact in our society. And I think this is important for some of you here. Some of you maybe need to hear that your whole life, your work has tremendous meaning and purpose. Your whole life is called by God. You know, you can just go to work, do your job well, and know that God is using you and serving the community through you. 
that is hugely spiritually significant. For some of us, maybe we need to repent of privatizing our work. You know, work isn't meant to be separated. We aren't meant to live a dualistic life. There isn't really the sacred secular divide, and God wants to reset that. And so in summary, Paul teaches us that calling and vocation is for all of our lives. And now I'd like to look at two other people that Paul connected with outside the church and that are hugely significant too. This is Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and Lydia, the merchant. It's just one simple verse about Crispus mentioned in Acts 18, verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. You see, Crispus was a synagogue ruler in the Jewish synagogue. He was a spiritual leader in the Jewish faith. His job was to help Jews grow in their Jewish faith and to grow in God's word. And the Jewish faith uh, doesn't recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But Paul went to preach to him about Jesus, and he put his faith in Jesus and believed in Jesus. And so Crispus basically lost the one thing, most important thing, that was needed for his job. It would be a bit like me as a pastor losing my Christian faith. That wouldn't be very good, would it? It was what was requested of him for his job for him to do his job. And what's asked of you in your job? Maybe what's your company culture like? Maybe it's market practice, market standard. Maybe it's the code of ethics. Do they line up with Jesus's truth? You see, Crispus had to turn away from the one thing that was required from his job because it no longer lined up with Jesus's truth. How are you called, how are you asked to work? How are you asked to treat your staff? Is it, does your company say it's okay to not be gracious, not be kind to your coworkers? Maybe the industry culture is such that, actually I need to be hard, I need to be stern and mean in order to advance in my career. Or maybe it's, it's standard market practice to scold someone, scold a client, a student, whatever it is. Maybe it's okay to to text your team around the clock, not give them time off, not honor their family life, not honor their boundaries, because that's what you are asked to do. And so you're thinking, I'm just doing my job. You know, I think if we ask the foreign soldiers that invaded Ukraine what they're doing, they're probably just saying, I'm just doing my job. You see, if Paul, Aquila, and um, Priscilla showed us that what we do matters, Crispus here shows us that how we work matters. We can't do our jobs without Jesus. We are called to show a godly character when we're at work. We are called to work with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We are called to, to care for the people we work with. And we need to see the power of the gospel in the way you work. It's because it's Jesus' principles, not market practices, that is our benchmark. 
We know that from later in scripture that Crispus and you know was baptized. His whole family was baptized, and there were other people in Corinthians that in Corinth that was baptized, and this probably caused chaos in the synagogue. He probably lost his job. It was scary, and Crispus shows us that we have to have courage to follow Jesus' principles in our workplace. Crispus teaches us that we have to have courage to go against market practice if that is required. Let me tell you about another story about a congregation member here. When he was in Hong Kong, he was the regional head of a a well-known insurance company, and then he was moved to China to become the CEO um, of their China operation. When he first arrived in China, his team asked him to sign off on small accounts up for under-table commission. Now, he knew this meant corruption, but he thought he was new, I'm new to the, this is how things are done in China, this is just market practice. And so he signed off on these accounts. But for a whole year, he said, the spirit impressed on his heart that this was wrong, that he shouldn't do this. And so after a whole year, he plucked up the courage and he went to his boss and he said, we can't do this anymore. And to his surprise, his boss actually said yes, and they implemented a company-wide anti-corruption policy. Now, it was scary, he said, because at the very beginning, their business dropped 99%. And so they had to find new ways to, to find business. But that actually, as they did, as they improved in their work, over five years, business increased five times, and they gained 30% of market share, and they became the industry benchmark for ethical trading. That's amazing, isn't it? I experienced something, maybe on, a, on this scale. I was working for um, this entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur one time, and I was his assistant, and he, he wanted to promote me as his chief of staff and looking after his um, team leaders. And this one time, he said to me, he was out of town, this was in the UK, he was out of town, and his driver's license was due for renewal. And he said, just forge my signature. And I said, I can't forge your signature on an official government document. I could be put in jail. And I said, I'll post it to you, you can sign it, send it back to me. And he said, he said to me, your promotion is just around the corner, just do this. But I couldn't. I couldn't, and it was such a struggle, and it took huge courage for me to say, no, I can't do this, and actually, the week after, I did resign. Sometimes I think, this is so costly, this could have looked so good on my CV. But no, it wasn't something that I could bring myself to do. So CRISPR shows us that we need huge courage to go against what's wrong, to go against things that it doesn't line up with Jesus' truth. And now I'd like to look at another person that shows us something else that's very important about our work too. This is about a businesswoman. Are there any businesswomen here? Yeah? Yeah! Awesome. Let's look at this, Acts 16, verses 11 to 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate, to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
we sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia isn't a well-known person in scripture. She's only mentioned twice in scripture, but someone who's very significant. We've looked at how large doors swing on small hinges, and Lydia is one of these small hinges where a massive door swung. You see, she was a businesswoman. She, she was a dealer in purple cloth. What this means is that purple cloth was something that was very expensive, that only the very wealthy or even royalty could afford. And so we think that because it's so precious to come by, she could even be operating a monopoly. And it says she's from Theatira. So we think that basically business was so good in her hometown, Theatira, she decided to expand her business and go to Philippi. And I imagine her as this woman, really well-dressed. I mean, she, she deals with in very expensive cloth. So dressed really well in very fine dressing. Her hair's done perfectly. Her makeup's done perfectly. She's wearing the best jewelry. She's an ambitious woman. She's confident. She's one of the women who walks into the room and commands the room, and she knows what she's doing. She had a, Christ, uh, a Jewish faith. Lydia had a Jewish faith. Paul preached to her, and she put her faith in Jesus also. It says here, she opened her heart and she comes to faith in Jesus. And there are two bits of her response that I'd like to look at, to unpack right now. How did she respond? She opened her heart and she said, she and the members of her household were baptized and she invited us, that's Paul and his company, to her home to come and stay at her home. Her response was twofold. She got baptized, her household got baptized, and she opened up her home. You see, Lydia, in all her leadership and confidence, uh, she responded to the message of Christ in humility and in gentleness, and immediately she opened her home. We know from later in Acts um, Acts 16, that late, she continued to host Christian groups, Christian gatherings, to host traveling missionaries. Lydia opened her home to what would be community groups. And so this was so important because Philippi at the time was a city that worshipped their emperor. They were involved in pagan worship and they were not open to Christianity. Christianity was so new, they didn't recognize Christianity as a religion, that the only way they could meet, that Christians could meet, was if they met in a home. You see, we looked at how Lydia was a successful, wealthy businesswoman. We can assume that she had a sizable home. She had a large home. She immediately offered her status, her home, everything that's within her sphere of influence, she offered it to God, and she basically said, God, use it for your glory. And the importance of this can't be stressed enough. You see, we know that the first Christian church in Europe started in Philippi, and the first recorded baptism 
in Europe is that of Lydia. And so, and so Lydia opening her home, hosting community groups, hosting traveling missionaries, most likely gave birth to the church in Philippi and in Europe. Hugely significant. And so she used all that she had, all that she owned for God's redemptive plan. Her faith in Jesus permeated through everything that she had authority over. And so Lydia teaches us that we can use our sphere of influence to see the church grow and flourish. Like I said, Lydia is a small hinge, but such a big door. The, the birth of the European church swung on this hinge. And so the same, I think, could be said about your work. Just as Lydia just responded with a yes, a small yes, a small act of obedience in your work, in whatever sphere of influence you have, could have such a massive impact. Maybe even beyond we will ever know or realize. And I also just feel to affirm here, um, women. You know, Lydia here was a woman and Paul, it, it was unusual for Paul to preach to women and it really affirms the importance of women and I am so pleased that I am here in a church that affirms women and leadership and I just wanted to say we honor you women, even women in business, women in, in whichever field you are in, we honor you and we champion you. And so in summary, our calling includes our work, our church, our community, our home, our family, where we have citizenship, as well as our gifts and talents. This can all be used as ministry, as service to God, if we dedicate it back to God, because God wants to use you in his kingdom. And I hear you say, I'm ready, let's do it. How do we do it? How do we do this? Let's look at um, Acts 18, verse 9 to 11. How do we do this? How does God encourage Paul? It says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And there are three things here I'd love to draw out. The first thing that God says is, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. It doesn't have to be a massive thing. Instead, we're called to just be faithful in the things that God has asked us to do. Earlier when we looked at Lydia, she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, Come and stay with me. This word believer actually means faithful, trustworthy. It's the same word used in where it says, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, that's more than anything, that's what I want to hear God say. Well done, good and faithful servant. So that's what we're encouraged to do, to just be faithful in the things that we probably have already been asked to do. And the second thing it says in this passage, is that keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, 
Paul is called to preach. So what this really is saying is that keep on doing what the Lord has called you to do. Don't retreat, keep going. If you are trying to discover your calling, you're probably already doing it. Start where you are. Remember first and foremost that we are called to be children of God. We are called to walk with God um, wherever we are, including our work. And so for most of us, we are called to Hong Kong. For those online, wherever you're, you're watching, you're called to that place that you live. We are called to this community of faith that is the vine. And then God calls you, has a personal calling for your work, for your home, for your school, for your social circles, social circles, everything. He wants to partner with you in those things. Stay where you are. And maybe it's asking God to show you, how is this contributing to your kingdom? How is this contributing to your purposes and desires for our society? I mean, you don't have to fear whether you're in the right job. That's a question I get asked a lot. I don't know if I'm walking in my calling. God is powerful. He opened the door for you to be at that job, and he can close it if he doesn't want you there. So we can keep going where we are at. This is not a time to retreat. And thirdly, lastly, Paul reminds us that I have many people in this city he has many people who are people of faith here. We have each other. This is our community. And what this means is that we are called to walk this out, to figure this out together. It's not meant to be a mystery, but sometimes it does take each other to call it out in us, for others to point out our gifts, our talents, for others to encourage us when things are difficult at work, because work can get difficult, and maybe you're facing one of those situations where you need the courage to go against something at work. This is when we need our Christian community. And so this is what Lydia shows us, that we can use everything, everything for God's glory. And that how we're supposed to do this, we don't need to be afraid. We can keep on doing what the Lord has called us to do. And we are called to be in Christian community to work this out together. It won't be plain sailing. There will be difficulties. But it's exciting and audacious. And I did. I worked in the marketplace. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. I felt like God's secret agent working in the business world, bringing God's kingdom to the company that I was working with. We, as Christians, if we get that our work has such significant spiritual value and significance, we can change Hong Kong. We can bring the hope and the restoration that Hong Kong needs as God uses you in what you do to bring God's restoration, it uses you to care for, to love on people you minister to. This is how God is going to restore our world through each of us as we go out in the world. It has huge significance and purpose. And this is the great realignment that I believe God is calling us to. And in closing, I'd love to pray for us. So could we stand, please? <clears throat> A 
In a moment, I'd love to just bless us in our work, but I, I really feel to pray for, I think, two categories of people. We've heard how significant work is, and we know there is, there's a, a, a group of people in Hong Kong that are not allowed to work. That is a huge insignificance. And the second group, I'd love to pray for women. And so let's, let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. God, we thank you that you called work good. Work is good. You call us to work. Work is done in a response to you. Work is part of our worship. And God, whilst I pray for this realization and realignment for all of us, I pray specifically for those who, for whatever reason, in Hong Kong, maybe and, and beyond, are not allowed to work. They're not given access to a job, to an income. God, I pray you will come and really, only you can speak significance and purpose into their heart, into their being, that they know they are valued by you. And we do ask for justice, God. We ask for justice. And I pray for women. Any women here, maybe, you've been told you're too ambitious. You're not supposed to be ambitious. You're supposed to be gentle and quiet and stay at home. We've seen from Lydia, you know, that's not even what, what the Bible affirms. We affirm you and in your calling in all that God has called you to do. We affirm your, your leadership, your authority, your heart for people. God, where there's healing, we, where healing is needed, we ask for that as well. And now I'd love to just pray a blessing over everyone's work. And this, like I said, includes you as a parent, you in your family life, you in your service in whatever way, volunteering or studying, it includes all of that. So God, we thank you that you are God of our calling and vocation. I ask you to bless everyone here and everyone watching online. Bless these men and women, maybe even boys and girls. We honor you and we recognize the kingdom significance that your daily work, maybe your daily studies, bring and all the contribution that you bring to family life, to societal life, community life. And we call all of this sacred because God, you say this is all done in a response to you having called us as children of God. God, I repent on behalf of the church, maybe the church in the past, in history, hasn't affirmed this, that work can be sacred, that work is part of our calling. And if that has hurt anyone, God, we repent as well. And so lead us, God, as a church, every one of us, to that we would work together to further your vision for this world so that we ourselves can flourish. Other people we serve can flourish and the whole world can flourish. Bless this community in their work, in their labor, and send them out to serve you in your name. Amen.